You're on. Good morning, everyone. My name is Grace Clark. I'm a senior here at Shelby Christian. I'm so glad that you guys all chose to come here bright and early this morning. I know it can be hard to get out of bed. It was hard for me to get out of bed this morning. Um, so today is Senior Sunday, so you're going to be several seniors up here. Um, our youth minister, Bradley Souter, is going to be preaching. So if you guys wouldn't mind standing up, um, we're going to start worshiping together. Here we go. Sorry about that. There is a shadow that has ever overcome your life. And there is no rival that could ever stand against your might. You've always been with us. Every battle you've already won. You've already won. There is no weapon that has ever left a mark on you. There is no army with the power to conquer truth. You've always been with us. Every battle you've already won, you've already won. Show me one thing he can't do. Show me a mountain he can't move. He's the God of the breakthrough and anything is possible. Show me one thing that's too hard. Show me I will. 
Break out the weight of your glory. I needed shelter. I was an orphan. Now you call me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken, you were my healing. Now your love. I have a future. My eyes are open. Cause when you call my name. Come on. Oh, I ran out of that grave. Out of the darkness. Into your glory. You call my name I'm Amelia, and I'm a senior here at Shelby Christian. I've been pretty involved in the student ministry for the past few years now, and I'm very blessed to say to come a family to me, and it's become the place where I feel like I most belong. So in a few moments here, we're going to be doing communion, and I feel like especially for those of us who've grown up in the church, it's kind of easy to kind of forget or grow ignorant to the importance of communion and what it really means. So I encourage you today to kind of remember what it's all about. When we take communion, we drink some grape juice and we eat a cracker, but it's obviously more than that. It's supposed to represent the blood and body of Jesus Christ, and it's supposed to remind us of the ultimate sacrifice he made on that cross for each and every one of us. No sin is too great for God to forgive. No person is too far off for God to save, and I encourage you all to take peace and remind yourselves of that today. I know for us seniors, we're starting to enter into a time of uncertainty and change, and it's been causing a lot of fear and anxiety for all of us, because honestly, most of us don't know where we're going to be five years from now. But something we take peace in and something we can remember is that the one constant through all of that is God, our Savior. So in a few moments here, I encourage you to grab communion from the various stations along the room, and as you go back to your seats and spend time in prayer, just remember what God has done for you, repent from your sins, and just reflect on and take his grace in love, his unfailing grace and love for each and every one of us. So please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you. Lord, just being here today is a blessing in itself. Being here with a community of fellow believers to praise you and worship you. And so many people don't even get that opportunity. Lord, I pray that in these next few moments as we continue to worship and take communion, I, I pray you would just remind us of how much you love us. And remind us of the control you're in no matter what circumstances we face. God, please allow us to use these next few moments to remember. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
ago, fly the Atlantic. Why does Rice play Texas? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills, because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win, and the others too. I was going to preach in this. This is hot. Shelby Christian, we have a problem. The problem is I can't get this thing off. Ethan, oh, it's just like student ministry. You gotta have someone help you out, you know. Thanks, Sam. Like Ethan trying to get off his jeans. Shelly Christian. Let me get this figured out. That's hotter than I envisioned. Let me be honest with you. Um, man, I'm glad to be here. I am so pumped. It's been about a year since I have preached, which I like to say, talked to you uh, since the last time, about a year. And I asked Dave last time, like when he asked me, because it's about the second or third week after COVID and we shut things down, we opened back up. I was like, is that the smartest move to put the student minister 
on stage for his first time at Shelby Christian, uh, only being the second or third week. And I guess it worked because he asked me to do it again. And I'll tell you what, Terry Orange prayed over me, and man, I got chills. My dad was here last year at the second service, and my dad's not a hugger. He didn't hug me until I went to college for the first time. And last year, he gave me a hug. Man, he realigned my back. I thought Dr. Lee was working on me. And I told Dave, I said, Dave, if my dad's going to hug me like that after every message I give from this pulpit, I'll do every single Sunday. So I'm excited to be here. Do we have any graduating seniors, high school, college, in this? Of course not. It's 8.30. They're all asleep. I would say, hey, they're the smart ones, but 8.30, you are... If I'm, if I'm Moses this morning, you're my people because I absolutely am a morning person. This is the first service. It's like, I don't know what Dave or Jason or whoever is going to say. So I'm just as curious as you guys are. And I'm the person, like, as soon as I get up, I'm opening up the curtains. I need coffee. The coffee's always a little bit better in the morning, first thing, because they're, they're spot on. And so this is going to be our service. But listen, you're 830. Okay. You get the, the stigma of, the 830 group. They're quiet. They're the older crowd. You know what? Older crowd just means you've lived longer and you can have more fun because you've had more practice at it. All right? Hey, there we go. Got to clap. I'm really looking for an amen, but a clap will work. It is 830 in the morning. Hey, we are celebrating our seniors. And what an amazing time. What an opportunity that's in front of them doesn't matter if they're graduating from high school or college or fifth grade. (laughs) They have so much in front of them. And we did too. But we were in trouble. We heard a beeping noise. Beep, 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 beep. October 4th, 1957. And it was panic. Because it wasn't a machine that the United States of America made, it was the Soviet Union. And that was when we heard the beeping noise of Sputnik. It was the first satellite to be orbiting Earth. And where the rest of the world heard, man, opportunity, the United States heard trouble. We had just finished a world war, and we had won. Okay, we kicked teeth in, we took names the whole nine yards. We are known as the powerhouse of the galaxy And people needed to be afraid of us. People needed to watch out because we were launching, we were moving to bigger and better things. But then the Soviet Union, man, they launched a satellite. Not only did they launch a satellite, they launched a dog into space, man's best friend. And then on April 12th, 1961, a human being from the Soviet Union actually was orbiting the earth. All of a sudden, the United States didn't seem so powerful. All of a sudden, the United States wasn't the strongest country in the world. We were quickly falling behind. So we had to respond. We had to do something. We had got to make this thing work. Sounds a lot like the church. These last several weeks, we've been looking at the launch, the momentum of the start of the church as it is today. And man, we were on the right foot. We were heading in the right direction. The man, the myth, the legend, Jesus Christ died on the cross. And that's not where it stops 
Three days later, he said, hey, man, hold my drink. Watch this. And he rose from the grave. He hangs out with several people for a few days, and he gives some instructions. He says, listen, this is what I need you to do. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the rest of the world, you wait right here. This is where it's going to start. I'm going to equip you with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is basically like an identical twin to Jesus without the skin. And he's going to equip you to change this world. And man, they were on fire. They were going out. They were winning. We were going to be the best nation. We're going to be the best identity. We're going to be the best group. And it wasn't egos. It wasn't status. It wasn't material. It was all for the Holy Spirit, for the kingdom of God. But then something happened. And this is where we're going to pick it up this morning. If you've got your Bibles, open it. If not, it's going to be on the screen here in a few minutes. This message is brought to you by Body Armor. Good stuff. I'm not endorsed them, but I am drinking it. All right. So this is where we're at. We get to chapter 7, chapter 8, and the book of Acts. Everything's going well, man. People are being baptized. People are repenting. People are giving their, their possessions up all in the name of the kingdom of, of heaven for Jesus. And then all of a sudden, last week we got to the stoning of Stephen. Everybody's about everything until it goes wrong. Everybody's all in and excited until change occurs. And when people saw the stoning of Stephen, the, the first persecution that we see recorded in the Acts, man, I'm done. I'm bowing out. I'm gone. And it says the church was scattered. We had to have a response. We needed a response. When trouble hits, what are we going to do? September 12th, 1962, we choose to go to the moon. The United States of America had to respond and respond in big time. Yet we had barely sent anyone to outer space. You got Russia on one side, man. They got a satellite, they got a dog. They've got a man in outer space. And in 1962, John F. K. Kennedy says, we're going to trump that. We're going to do something bigger and better that the world has never seen. We're going to go to the moon. Most people in NASA thought he was nuts. To go to the moon, they said, would take another at least 30 years to accomplish. And Kennedy said, no, we're going to do it by the end of the decade. Again, let me repeat that number, 1962. So by 1970, eight years. Not only are we going to go to the moon, we're going to land on the moon safely with human beings, and then we're going to bring them back safely and land on the earth. That's a big goal. That's a big accomplishment if we can pull that off. Kennedy, how are we going to do that, man? 30 years best might be when we can do that. Saul was the best at what he did. He was a killing machine. He thrived in death. He thrived in making sure the way the church was not going to win. I think we hear about Paul and this conversion of Paul, and we're like, oh man, that's such a cool story. Do you know who Paul was before? Do you know him as Saul? Saul was the worst of the worst. 
Evil was his middle name. Like he, you know, when they, we, we think persecution, we think, man, okay, he beat him. He threw maybe rocks at him, but he didn't kill him. He put him in jail. He was a murderer. In Acts chapter 22 and 23, in his own words, Paul speaking, man, I hurt people for fun. Not just guys, but women. And very rarely were women accounted to the numbers, you know. Hey, Jesus fed 5,000, well, that's just the guys. Who knows how many were really there? Paul comes out, sorry about that. Touching my cheek, driving me crazy. Paul comes out and says, hey, man, men, women, children, it doesn't matter. If they weren't the same way I was, I was taking them out. And he takes it a step further. And I enjoyed it. I loved it. I was the best at what I did. As a matter of fact, we get our first glimpse of Saul in the second half of verse 58 of chapter 7. When it says, they laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. They being the people who were stoning Stephen. Hold my coat so I can get my arm warmed up and ready because I'm going to throw with everything I have to kill this guy who's proclaiming that Jesus is the way. Jesus is the only true Messiah. Jesus is the only one who can save us. And chapter 8 starts off, and Saul proved them killing him. As a matter of fact, I can see Paul. They say they laid their coats down on his feet. I have to imagine Paul just didn't stand there and hold their coats. Paul is actually looking for rocks. Hey, guys, here's one. This one's super sharp. This is definitely going to crack his head open. Hey, here's one that's a little bit bigger, so it's going to hurt a little bit more. I guarantee you when no one was looking, Saul himself even took a rock and threw it at Stephen. He loved hurting Christians. We're going to start in chapter 9, verse 1. There had to be a change. There was a change. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found they who belonged to the way, again, the church, whether man or woman, he might take them to prison in Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus in his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. That Lord part is more like a sir. Sir, who, who are you? Who is speaking my name? Jesus replied, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see nothing. So he led them by the hand to Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat and did not drink anything. Now I'm going to skip a few verses here to verse 18 and 19 and just kind of recap it. Saul has this encounter, not with the Holy Spirit, not with God, with Jesus. Jesus literally hits him right in the face. Saul, what are you doing? You are hurting me. You're persecuting me. And Saul's like, Jesus, I don't know who you are. What are you talking about? Who is this that you're saying I'm hurt? You are hurting me. Jesus said, hey, when you feed, when you visit, when you clothe those, you are clothing me. And I have to imagine this is reversed. When you're hurting them that are calling them selves a child of mine, you are hurting me. And so Saul is blinded. And I don't know if there's any more recorded miracles than someone's 
that has no sight and then they gain it back in the Bible. And so there has to be something that's some value of importance there. But they go on and he is met, and we're going to discuss that here in a bit, but he's basically baptized and then starts preaching. And it says it just like that. It says he's baptized and the next day he is preaching in the name of Jesus Christ in the synagogue. Think about that for a second. This guy goes from killing anybody who is saying, hey, Jesus is the way, to Jesus is the way. And I'm here to tell you about it. I'm here to proclaim. I'm here to testify. I'm here to help you understand, to repent, to be baptized, to be new in Jesus Christ. Can it be that easy? Can we be the worst of the worst and end up potentially one of the most historical best of the best for the church? Better yet, for Jesus Christ? Is it that easy? It can be. United States of America needed a Saul to Paul kind of momentum happening in the 60s. John, how are we going to get to the moon, man? We can't even get off the ground. We need a Saul to Paul miracle. When Kennedy came up with this and he gives this speech on Rice University in 62, he had already discussed with his vice president, Lyndon Johnson, we need a game plan and you're in charge of it. I need you to figure out how to get men off earth, onto the moon, and back. Vice President Johnson had a huge task at hand. How are we going to launch? We have chaos. We have concern. Every mother in America is like, my babies are not going to live to my age. How are we going to do this? And then Vice President Johnson remembered we had something in our pocket. We had Von Van Braun, a German Nazi rocket scientist. You can see him right now, his Wikipedia bio. Look at his bio. German-born American aerospace engineer and space architect. He was the leading figure in the development of rocket technology in Nazi Germany and a pioneer of rocket and space technology in the United States. This guy was developing rockets for the Nazis. He was the mastermind. This is how you take an object, you fire it in the air, it hits the ground again, and boom! That was his creation. And when stuff was hitting the fan and armies are doing what they're doing and taking people out, and we're about to win the war, the guy's like, okay, I give up. <laughs> I just make rockets, I can't really shoot or punch or kick my way out of anything. And the United States realized real quick, man, we got something here. So they brought him in. And they found out this man has had a fascination with space for as long as he could remember, for rockets to go out of the atmosphere, to go to the moon. So Vice President Johnson said, Ron, I need you to make this happen. He said, hey, we can make this happen. As a matter of fact, he's the one who proposed by the end of the decade, President Kennedy, not only can we go to the moon, we can land on the moon and we can bring their butts back to earth. The worst of the worst was helping us accomplish the greatest accomplishment to me personally of mankind. He goes from blowing up cities, killing innocent people, to saying, President Kennedy, 
I'll help you get to the moon. And he designed the rocket, the S-5 rocket, that got our men to the moon safely and brought back. That is a Saul to Paul miracle. The worst of the worst. Last week, Dave challenged us. Here's the great commission. Go out to the edges of the earth. And I was sitting back over here and I was in every service and I watched every single face. That's cool. <laughs> but someone else can do it. That's not me. Right now you're thinking, Bradley, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know my background. And I don't. But God does. God knew exactly what Saul had been doing. And said, I can use that man. If Saul never came along to be Paul, we potentially might not be sitting in this room right now. And let's take it a step further. If we're not sitting in this room, we're not swimming in that water. (laughs) Do you know what Saul did? I mean, this guy's bio, he's a Nazi. Do you know what he did? God said, yes, and I know what he can do. So I don't know what your background is. I don't know how much heartache you've caused others or yourself. I can't fix you. I can't change you. Dave can't fix you. He can't change you, but God can. So that's no longer an excuse for missed opportunities. There's a little box, I'm sure, Amy Dove saw it, and I know where her mom was. 365 days equals 365 opportunities. Can I get real with you? Dave talks about who's your one. That's not enough. Who's your one should be who's on your list? When Dave, every time he brings it up, who's your one? I have a list of 15 people that I know haven't been there yet. That I know are hurting and struggling and are angry with God. They're doing all the things backwards and wrong. And they want to give up. They're saying there's no way, no way God could love me. Bradley, if, if God knew what I have done... <laughs> He would walk away. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. Because if he can take a person like Saul, and he was pretty bad and messed up, and intensify the church, he can make anything happen. I skipped a few verses. Paul wasn't the only person that God talked to. Verse 10 in chapter 9. In Damascus there was a disciple... Named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Taurus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. <laughs> this is great. Lord. <laughs> and, and let me tell you, that's not right. He's probably like, Lord. And I answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, 
Did I stutter? Was there a comma there? Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. This guy had to be shaken like, oh my gosh, this is really going to go well or this isn't going to go well at all. But he went. He went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the roads as you were coming here has sent me to you so you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And then it goes to verse 18 and 19. He was baptized and started preaching. Some of you have been in this water and this is you. I'm scared. I'm scared, Jesus. What am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to do? What if I get it wrong? I don't know your word like the back of my hand. I don't know all the preachy terminology. I don't don't know the church words. What are they going to say? What are they going to do? I am scared. You have 365 days and way more than 365 opportunities. The edges of the earth. That's our destination. That's where we're launching to. That's where we have got to land. And I love Kennedy's confidence. Why does Rice play Texas? Texas crushed them every year. Because the opportunity of potentially winning. The opportunity of someone saying, I'm tired of fooling around. I'm tired of being addicted. I'm tired of struggling. I'm tired of failing. I'm tired of being scared and not only being baptized, but coming out of that water renewed, changed, saw the Paul Nazi to an American and making things happen. Where's the edge of the earth for you? Do not Google it. (laughs) Do not ask Siri. Where's the edges of the earth? The edges of the earth, Kroger's, Starbucks, John Deere, post office, the high schools, the middle schools, even. Even in this room. I don't care if you're seven or 70. If you call Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, your friend, as Paul does, as Ananias does, as every single person who says, I'm a follower of Christ. You have edges of this world. People are blown. And there's people in this world who still don't know Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, there are people in our community who don't know Jesus. So we have 365 days and a million opportunities for them to know him on a personal level. It's not someone else's responsibility. It is our opportunity that let them know that they are loved. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for the moments. I thank you for the miracles. I saw to Paul, a scared Ananias still walking up and saying, 
The same Jesus that spoke to you, Paul, is the same Jesus that spoke to me. And we're going to work on this together. God, we don't have to have all the right answers. We don't have to have all the right words. We don't even have to feel ready. We just have to be willing to launch. I can't imagine what those three men in the hot summer of 1969 were thinking as they're strapped to a rocket, there is nowhere else to go. What are their thoughts? What are their feelings? My prayer is they were trusting in you, saying, all right, it's out of our hands. <laughs> Let's hang on and enjoy the ride and see where this goes. May that be our attitude when it comes to sharing your love, sharing your words, sharing your life. I, I don't know, but I'm going to let go and trust in you, God. All these things we ask in your name we pray. Amen. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord, and say, I don't know what you're waiting on. You got a man up, woman up, something. If Jesus was finished, we would not be here. We would be gone. But if we're still breathing, if he still hasn't come back to take us all home, there's work still that needs to be done. Will you step up? Will you launch? Will you be that miracle? And together we can truly change this world.